Welcome back to Girl Mode. This is episode 22. I am one of your hosts, Willa Rowe. And I'm your other host, Robin B. I don't know why. I feel very peppy now that we started recording. Just yeah. so unlike me. I noticed. That was a very peppy intro. Mm-hmm. Well, are you peppy because of how excited you are about the soon-to-be-hit video game Redfall from Arcane Studios? No. <laughs> Actually. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're going to talk about Redfall. <laughs> Just you know what? We'll just go right into it. Yeah, <laughs> just cutting out. No the need to bullshit. beat around the bush. You all know what you're here for. Yeah, yeah. A bunch of people previewed Redfall, and it was very interesting because this game has two sides. All the people who did previews, they had like interviews, and the interviews were very cool. <laughs> they were with the studio director of Arcane Austin, and he was like talking about the story and the idea behind Redfall and it's like this sounds cool and then you look at the gameplay and it's like this looks like trash (laughs) (laughs) well yes I think that was that's your assessment more than the previous assessment yes uh, to be to be clear yeah I think so we both like read these this week and I think we had very similar reactions which is at least the the order that happened to me was I read the interviews and my response was like oh that sounds great how is that going to show up in the game, though? And then I read the previews and went, oh, it doesn't. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Because Redfall is basically like a vampire game, kind Mm -hmm. of. Like it's about murdering a bunch of vampires. Yes. (laughs) And the studio director, Harvey Smith, he was like, he was having all these really great interviews and fantastic pull quotes from from Mm -hmm. these previews. Uh, And he was like, our vampires are not aspirational. They're basically, they're based on rich people. And that's the idea that Redfall's vampires are like an allegory for the like 1% who like suck the lifeblood out of society, which is great. Yeah. It's a very, like, it's a very good understanding of how you use vampires for commentary on society as it has been done throughout history. I think it's important to, before we get too deep into, just to note that like Arcane, if anyone isn't familiar, is the studio that's behind games like Dishonored 2 and Deathloop. Um, And I think that is a big part of why I think before this like current cycle of stories, we were both kind of not that impressed by what we saw because it's a studio that has a history of, at least as far as Dishonored goes, of like very story focused uh, shooters and like the you know, the story is the big thing. And so when they showed off this game, Redfall, that looks like Left for Dead with vampires, it was kind of like, oh, they're just, you know, sort of leaving that behind. So I think at least me, when I saw these interviews, I was like, that that's the kind of thing that I would have expected from from Arcane, this like using vampires as a kind of metaphorical tool. But that's what also makes it kind of seems so odd because none of that seems to show up in the gameplay. Yeah, and I, I think it's interesting to note that this is Arcane Austin, who mm-hmm. Arcane Austin, they were the developers of Prey, of the mm-hmm. 2017 Prey. They are not the like, you know, flat like flagship arcane studio in Leon. They're the ones that are kind of like they don't they didn't make Dishonored 2. They supported it. So it's like Prey was their last game, which Prey was a little weird. Um, (laughs) It had its pros and cons, but Mm -hmm. Redfall, the interesting thing about Redfall is it's like exactly what you were saying. My entire perception of it is left for dead with vampires. Yeah. The way like Harvey Smith was talking about it was really great because it 
it totally makes sense in like looking at the lineage of Arcane's games, like Dishonored, mm-hmm. Dishonored 2, Prey, even Deathloop, like narratively they clearly have a through line where all of their themes kind of have to do with like looking at institutions of power and like groups that take power for themselves and how it inherently manipulates the rest of society and like even sucks out the life of like entire cities. Like I think one of the cool things about the Dishonored games is like depending on how you play, the the world becomes like more diseased and ravaged because you're being a crueler player. And like Deathloop itself is like about a time loop society that was made because it's about like living opulently. So it's like doing this and having it be tech bro vampires kind of <laughs> yeah like um i mean literally like that's the story is there's like a startup in boston or somewhere in massachusetts that's like making you know rich people Redfall, essentially massachusetts immortal. oh sure whatever uh <laughs> the fake like town but that's why it's rich called Redfall. immortal uh and that's how they become vampires so literally they are vampires created by tech bros yeah in the digital trends preview mm-hmm. he talks like so vampires seemed like the perfect metaphor. Science-based biomedical startup vampires fit right into a world with Theranos and Palantar, which is cool. Mm-hmm. I love this idea. Totally. But I do think like looking at it, mm-hmm. the gameplay seems it it doesn't seem like the gameplay supports any of this yeah. is, is the opinion that I have. It is really interesting reading. So some... Uh, outlets like combined their like gameplay preview with an interview and some ran separate uh, sort of previews pieces and interview pieces and it's really interesting to see when those two pieces are separate the interview piece is so exciting and has so many interesting ideas and talks about like all these things that make me really want to play the game and then the preview sounds like nothing i have any interest in touching whatsoever and even the the previews that are pretty positive like geos from digital trends which is Mm -hmm. a kind of combines like the gameplay preview with the interview stuff and i think that also is one of the pieces that got like kind of the best quotes from from smith even that one it it does kind of go on to say at certain points like well yeah i mean those those ideas are really interesting didn't really see too many of them in the game and to be fair like uh this piece is very positive it's like generally very positive on the game certainly i think more than either of us is feeling about it but even those are kind of drawing this separation between like oh there's some interesting ideas in here but it's not really clear how they're actually being expressed in the game Mm -hmm. and i think we both compare it to left for dead is because it seems like that's kind of what they've been going for for a long time Mm -hmm. like it's supposed to be you can play in co-op with like four people and explore the world and all the like mobs of vampires. It's one of those things where you call them vampires, but it's like they're very, they can just be anything. Mm-hmm. Like they're very similar to Left for Dead zombies, where it's like, oh, well, there's different types and you have to, you know, battle them differently and whatever. But they don't seem to really actually matter to the like more interesting narrative that they imply as part of it. One of the things that I think is like really interesting from the previews is that, you know, a lot of people talk about how like this game has been kind of pitched as a co-op game. And one of the big responses, I think, like especially from me is like, why is this a co-op game? Like Arcane is known for creating incredible like single player experiences. So like, what is it adding? And then all the previews, they like had 
the people play solo. Which is, yeah, I, I found that very odd. <laughs> yeah, which um, I think the, inter- the the preview that I thought was really in- interesting was PC Gamers from Robin Valentine, mm-hmm. who they talk about how they like played solo and playing solo makes the world feel even more empty. And like without having other people around, it just feels like you can see how clearly this world is kind of like poorly designed yeah, which is particularly disappointing coming from the studio as well, because that's sort of the thing that made you know Dishonored and Prey and all of those games like so interesting is that they the worlds were full of uh, of of detail of things that told story on their own, and so if that's not present in this game, and the uh, story is something that's kind of implied but not necessarily expressed like this idea of vampires created uh, out of rich folks to to you know both literally and metaphorically drain people of their lives it's like what's i don't know what is there to grab onto you know mm-hmm. it's very interesting to me because redfall is like an open world game mm-hmm. where none of arcane's games have been open world like there are some larger maps but like one of the great things about them is that all their maps feel like incredibly intricately designed levels that are so thought out because they really like most of Arcane's games are really heavy on the like immersive sim style thing where you can you have powers and tools that allow you to manipulate like enemies or manipulate the environment and just play smart to do interesting things. Mm-hmm. Like the biggest example I always think about is the Clockwork Mansion in Dishonored 2. Like there's a reason people always talk about it is because it was like so expertly designed and like overall it's a rather small level, but how much details layered into this level is just like astounding and there's so many different ways you can go through it. And instead of carefully designing a smaller space, it seems like the impression is that they messily designed a large space. Yeah, I I don't know. This really like is making me think now of how much is is potentially being sacrificed to turn all kinds of games into open worlds. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I don't know. It just becomes such a such a trend that it feels like you know not to say that it's people are jumping into it without thinking about it or without you know just because 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 it is a trend but it does seem strange that like even studios that are very well known for creating these tightly controlled worlds are going like well let's make an open world and it's like from this point like from the coverage that we've seen of it it's not really clear what that's even intending to add to the experience uh because it seems like it's not really adding anything and it just makes me wonder like why go this direction then if it's if it's not your strength and there seems to be nothing uh particularly inventive that you wanted to try with it it's like Mm -hmm. why why follow this path then in the first place yeah i think um another red flag for me about this game is the fact that it really doesn't look to me like gameplay has that interesting variation that other arcane games have Mm -hmm. um where you're able to like use movement and powers to like manipulate the environment it does overall mostly look like a pretty straightforward just first person shooter yeah i mean there is like you know there are these multiple different characters you can play as and they all have different abilities and maybe when you do have people coming together in co-op it will come you know those will be able to combine in interesting ways but yeah i mean like from what i've seen that doesn't 
they don't seem to be the case because that stuff like that all depends on very carefully crafted levels that give you opportunities to to use those powers and interesting enemies that have patterns that you need to kind of disrupt and fight against with your abilities and if mm-hmm. those things aren't there just the presence of cool superpowers doesn't itself really make for a very interesting experience yeah i think overall uh one of the sentiments that i think is seems accurate um, from the PC Gamer preview is in the last paragraph, uh, Robin says, developed during the pandemic and other change and upheaval at the studio and surely shaped by Arcane's struggle to find mainstream commercial success with its excellent immersive sims, Redfall seems to me to bear the scars of a troubled development. And I agree. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I, I've, you know, I hate to compare it to a game that I absolutely think will be 100% garbage, but I don't think Redfall is going to be that great either. Um, it, it does remind me in a way of the conversations that we've had around Suicide Squad, mm-hmm. where it just, it feels like one of those games that's so shaped by a desire to meet a trend and just be like, well, people like this type of stuff, don't they? So if we just do that, they'll like the game. Because everybody likes Let for Dead. Yeah, it's like the same conversation we had. It was yeah. just like, these are popular things, and so it's time to do one of these. Which is, I don't know, maybe a cynical way of looking at it, but it's it's kind of hard to to not see that motivation there, just based on what, what's been made public of the game so far. Yeah, I do think one of the most fascinating things about this type of game that Redfall is doing, like the Left for Dead clone, is that... In the so many years since Left 4 Dead, I do think it's funny that I feel like so many games have tried to mm-hmm. capture that and like nobody has. Like everybody's like, yeah, just go play Left 4 Dead still. Yeah. Get it on that Steam, really... put some mods on it. You're you're A-OK. Totally. I mean, even like Back for Blood, which was very directly, you know, basically Left 4 Dead again. Uh, it did wasn't, just it, like... wasn't that from Turtle Rock? The people Com- who made Left 4 Dead? Yeah. I mean, like it was like extremely direct uh, and it really makes me wonder how much like time and place had to play into Left 4 Dead because like, yeah, like you said, there are still people playing it. It's still fun. But I, I do wonder if like it just came at the right time where like the the kind of like multiplayer online scene was not then what it is today. And it's just like people were hungry for that kind of thing. And it was a new idea. Like, you know, it's even the games that were playable online were were very competitive and that's like still very much the case today and so just the sheer fact of there being this strange like small co-op game was was interesting you know and yeah that also makes me wonder like how much the sort of shift of the sort of idea of multiplayer is almost always used for competitive games as opposed to cooperative ones i wonder how much people are just not hungry for that like people just are trained to expect like Online games are competitive, and so when they see a co-op game, it just doesn't grab people's attention in the same way. Mm-hmm. But it is also still like unavoidably the case that like recent games that have tried that same pattern just haven't really been interesting enough to like get people engaged. Which is yeah, I don't know. It's kind of sad. Like I'm I'm always more interested in co-op games than competitive, and it it makes me really want to see someone revive that again. I just. Uh, I don't maybe, think it's going to be red <laughs> I feel like the issue is that also the idea of what a co-op game should be is kind of evolved. Like, mm-hmm. honestly, thinking about it, I think the replacement is like Destiny 2. Yeah. Because like where that's it, the kind of game where it's like, yeah, you just, you know, hop on with friends and you do some missions. 
Right. And you can jump in and out of games. Like matchmaking is such a bigger deal now. You know, you mm-hmm. can jump in on your own and still be matched with a team. That idea that you can do some things on your own and then have friends come in for part of it. It's yeah, it's it's a very different experience now. It does speak to something that I think was interesting in the PC Gamer preview also, where they talk mm-hmm. about the open world feels so like directionless. Yeah. Where a game like this that seems to be so clearly designed to be played with friends kind of needs more structure, which is like why Left for Dead or the idea of like a destiny where you can do like specific missions works better mm-hmm. because you're not just like aimlessly wandering around like, I don't know, what, what are we supposed to do? Yeah, that makes me think of our, our experience playing Diablo last weekend, which yeah. is like if there wasn't a giant glowing quest marker to follow, we would have had no idea what was going on you know because that's also a world that doesn't really it's not structured in a way to like tell its own story and lead you down a path and it feels like redfall is sort of following the same thing where you need some kind of guidance to get you where you're going because from the sounds of it the world itself isn't interesting enough to point you in those directions on its own uh, which is a real bummer yeah it is sad. I do like Arcane, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'll be interested to see what Arcane Leon is working on. Yeah. I will <laughs> say uh, on yeah. a more positive note about this game or at least his interviews though, it is heartening to see uh a you know, a game director be so willing to just say like yes, this is a political game. Whether those actually pan out in the game or not is a different story, but just the fact of someone being willing to say that instead of the bullshit we're used to, where it's like, oh, it's not political. You, you know, you see what in it, what you want to see. Like that's, that's obviously nonsense. And it's good to Mm -hmm. see people like willing to state things openly. And there's another bit in the, uh, the digital trends preview of this that I think is, it comes across more in the game than all of this, like vampires equals rich people stuff. I'm just going to read a decent section of this just because it will be make more sense than just trying to talk around it so i have this quote here though some players in recent years have complained about the idea of forced diversity in modern media smith points out that excluding non-white characters is much more of a deliberate unrealistic choice and then here's the quote from smith if you look at the last few arcane games juliana and colt morgan Yu, billy lurk the cast of redfall it's more like putting a camera out the window in the streets of manhattan taking a picture and then looking at it and going oh this is human society by contrast a lot of media would take a picture of that scene and it would be 80 percent dudes and most of them white that's actually more political and fabricated and curated in a weird direction and I think that's the key point there, like that yeah. that is actually more fabricated, which is something that we actually talked about uh, over Final Fantasy XV, sixteen. Uh, that idea that there's some sort of white historical precedent that, that developers are trying to chase, where it's like there are so few people who are willing to even acknowledge that the idea that diversity is a new thing is itself completely constructed, like the the past was not just all white people and <laughs> it's it's completely deranged to imply that like adding a diverse cast of characters is somehow unrealistic and it's especially the case in like a, a modern game because like this like this points out you can look out your own window and see how untrue it is so it's even harder to get away with that lie than it is in historical games mm-hmm. and it's just good to see uh, a studio like baking a little bit more representation into their characters and then being willing to say like yes this is a choice and yes this is how the world actually is instead of hiding behind some weird like other excuses for it so that's something that i feel like 
totally positive about like even if nothing else about this game pans out like it's heartening just to hear someone like take responsibility and like stand up for those ideas yeah that's a really good point so to transfer from redfall to a totally also topical game <laughs> uh let's talk about near automata mm-hmm. um so I, I assume because of the anime and having to wait for the anime, you decided to sit down and beat Nier Automata. Yeah, we talked about this a little bit, I think it was last week, where um, the anime had started again and a couple more new episodes were coming out. And so I, I started rewatching or, you know, I picked up from where I'd left off and started watching. And almost immediately, I was just like, this really makes me want to play Nier Automata instead. So I never actually finished Nier Automata. It's a game that essentially you like, you play until what looks like the end multiple times uh, through like the vantage points of multiple characters. So I'd played like the first two routes, which have mm-hmm. you playing as 2B, who is like, who is presented as the game's main character, like when you first start playing the game. And then you play a second route, playing essentially the same story as 9S who was sort of her partner. So I'd played that like years and years ago. And then for a couple of reasons, ended up like kind of ditching it there. And so finally I was like, okay, I just need to go back and finish this game. I knew that the game had multiple routes. I think I kind of assumed that it was going to be longer than it was. Cause if I had known that I was like basically halfway through at that point, I probably would have just pushed through. Um, <laughs> so I guess, I mean, maybe we just start there is like the, the reason that I, that I gave up at that point is that while I agree with the sort of broad consensus that Nier Automata is a masterpiece and a great game, I think for me, it's also can be an extremely frustrating game. So the the 9S route is where you start getting introduced to hacking, which is this little mini game where like anytime you can, you can, if you're fighting enemies, instead of like attacking them with your sword, like you usually do, you can choose to hack into them. And then you play this little mini game where it's like sort of like a little like an old school kind of like arcade shooter type thing where you have this little ship and you're you're dodging other ships and their bullets and trying to like destroy these little cores that that let you you know that's how you win this hacking game and i think it's just not a very good mini game like i just i don't enjoy it and i i am also bad at it (laughs) and so that really frustrated me that combined with like the next route starts with uh, you controlling 2B again, who's in like a weakened state. Uh, like you have basically access to none of your abilities and your whole, you're just trying to get to a specific location on the map. And I just kept getting stymied where I would just get like tossed into pits by enemies and get into these situations where I just couldn't finish it. I just couldn't get there. So I was replaying this like very boring section over and over. And like the combination of, of those things just made me decide to to give up. And I, I don't know, I, I'm wondering like how those things land for you. Like, how do you feel generally about the hacking? And like, did you, did you hit points like that where like the, it's a game that inter- introduces a lot of friction in a, th- like for a narrative purpose. Like mm-hmm. the, there's a good reason why you are like, uh, your powers are taken away at that point. There's a good reason why to be as weakened and it's putting you through this struggle. But in practice, particularly because it's a game that you have to like manually save and you can only do that at certain points, it means that like when you fail sections like that, you end up having to play them over and over again. And for me, that really like undercuts the narrative purpose of them because it's supposed to make you feel disempowered. It's supposed to make you feel desperate and like you're in this like struggle for survival. But the fact that I 
like die in those sections and then just replay them actually kind of robs that power for me because it just means I can restart. And so there is actually no threat and there is no desperation because it's just a time sink at that point. So I'm curious, like how all of that stuff lands for you. So I, I, I love it. I think it's great. <laughs> those specific elements you think are yeah, great. Yeah, I really okay. like, I, I actually greatly appreciate how much friction uh, Nier Automata is willing to give to the player, including these moments. It's it's very much like a, a glutton for punishment kind of perspective, <laughs> but I I enjoy that the game is kind of just like, listen, we could make it a little bit easier and narratively be like, oh, it's you're struggling, but we're going to make you really just deal with it and deal mm-hmm. with it and deal with it. I love it. I think it's essential to the game, actually, for a lot of reasons. And like it's it's the same reason why the game makes you play multiple times. Like it's it's a game about player friction. And I love that yes. because I think it's one of the things I really like about Yoko Taro games and Nier Automata is like, frankly, doesn't do it as much as other games do that he's made. But um, I like that a lot of his games basically are like, oh, you think games are supposed to be fun? No. <laughs> And there are moments where he's just like flat out like, no, I'm going to make this like tough for you. And I appreciate that because I think games shouldn't have to be fun to be meaningful. And I think it makes it all the more purposeful or all the more rewarding when you do push through. I I very much like it. Okay, so when you played this and you got to that section with 2B, did you have the same Mm -hmm. experience I did or did you get like just get through it? Oh, no, it was pretty frustrating. Like I, but, I had to start over a few times. Okay, because like, that's because that's the point where I I diverge from you because I totally agree. Like I I like that friction. I like the like how slow it is and how long it takes. But like at those points, like when I had to restart, it's because I like fell down a hole and they was not allowed to climb the ladder to come back out of it. You know what yeah, I mean? And that that great. doesn't feel that doesn't feel intentional. That feels like the game's systems not accounting for. The way that they're interacting because it wasn't like i had to have fallen down here it was just like enemies spawned in a weird place and knocked me down there and then because of this like glitch effect that's happening i i couldn't make it all the way like out of the hole before i glitched again and like had to start over that doesn't feel like a, a thing that the game is like putting on to me in like full control it feels like there are these systems that are interacting in a way that is not intentional that's keeping me from progressing and that's what i find really frustrating I get that. I th- the difference is like I do think it is purposeful, and I mm-hmm. I don't think it's the systems f- having a flaw in how they interact. I I do think it's purposeful. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. I wonder if I would feel differently if I believed that because mm-hmm. I don't think that's the case. And I wonder like if I did think that was true, would I be more willing to put up with it? Maybe. But as it is, I don't think it's true, and I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> But, you but eventually aside from got those past things, that. eventually I got out of this hole, or at least I played it enough times that I didn't fall in the fucking hole again. And like, I mean, I guess spoilers for this fucking 10 year old game or whatever. But at the end of this segment, like, it was so funny because like, I, I, I mean, I played this when it first came out, like this was like years ago, literally like, as, like the, the very next thing that happens in the game, like if I just kept going is that 
A2, who was like in the first path, like a rival of yours, shows up and kills the character that you're playing as uh, and takes over as the like one of the protagonists of the game. And I think if I had just like stuck with it and seen that, I would have like immediately been back on board because it's 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 great. Like from that point on, it's incredible. It's like you are taking control of this character who has been like in your way before. And even when you encounter her as an enemy, it's clear that like there's more to the story that's going on and there's a reason for her to be acting this way. But as soon as you you take control of her, there's like all these tiny little things where like very subtle way things about the way she controls are different. She has this antagonistic relationship with the like the pod, which is this like floating robot that follows you around and like fires special attacks to you and like tells you where to go, like gives you hints and stuff. That's just sort of like a a gameplay conceit in the first couple of routes. It's like, oh, it's just another way of attacking and like kind of telling you what to do. And then you take over A2 in this route and it becomes a character because suddenly A2 is like arguing with this other this other thing, which is a thing that I think Nier Automata in general is great at, which is taking these like things that just seem like systems and things that the game needs to function and turning them into narrative elements. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, the story like continues to like, spiral in on itself and like there is no point at which every character has the same information so you're very often like switching between two characters who are being fed completely contradictory stories about the world and you have to follow both of them and just sort of like hold those ideas in your head like knowing that the thing that you are doing as one character is stymieing your progress as the other and is eventually like inevitably leading to this like horrible conflict that like neither side has the uh, enough information to not make it a fucking tragedy it's like it's i I don't know it's it's incredible like it's it's like everyone has always said about it like it's an unbelievable game i don't know i'm just i'm really glad i I saw it through to the end like to me the reason i really really love near automata is that i do think it's kind of like it is in many ways the pinnacle of like video game storytelling Mm -hmm. and using the medium to its full potential. I personally believe that the game completely like merges gameplay and story Mm -hmm. and like gameplay is story and story is gameplay and it's exceptionally well done. And it's like one of the reasons why I think the, uh, the like true ending, like the final ending Mm -hmm. is so awesome yeah <laughs> do you want to go into that like story is gameplay gameplay is story thing a bit more because i think that is like one of the most exceptionally interesting things about the game yeah of course i mean in so many ways just like from the beginning first off like menus are they're mm-hmm. diegetic they're supposed to be diegetic like you're looking through the menus of basically like 2b or 9s there's this it's it's a little thing but i think it's so great they always tell you they're like you have your memory chip and yes. it's equipped and they're like, hey, don't don't unequip that. Just trust us. And then if you unequip the memory chip, what it just which it lets you do because it's just an equipable. If you unequip it, it's like, yeah, game over. You died. Yeah. We told you you shouldn't do that. <laughs> like you're a robot. You. That's your brain. <laughs> um, but it is just like the way combat happens, like that has to do with who these characters are. That's why each person plays differently and everything about how you interact with the world and the way the game, the game doesn't just progress narrative through cutscenes. 
the game progresses narrative through actual player action, mm-hmm. which like kind of like jumping to the biggest example of it is the final ending, which should we go into that now? Yeah, I just just really quickly on that that point, I think another fun thing is that like at every save point, you also have like a, a mailbox basically where you can check messages that are being sent to you, which are like in some ways meant to like lead you on quests and stuff. But it's also that's also like a great way that the game tells its story. I think one of the like the best example is that like there's this whole story of this like this idea of a a council, the Council of Humanity on the moon mm-hmm. and at a certain point, there's just like things are going on where it, it's made clear that like things aren't as they appear and there's like a, there's like catastrophes going on. And yet you keep getting correspondence from them that sort of um, contradicts what's actually happening in the world. And even that is a, a like sort of an element of the story and like a clue to what is actually going on. So it's just it's just, again, another one of these systems that seems very sort of practical and instructional that actually is the real purpose for it being there is that it serves to inform you about like how the world is and what things these characters take for granted. Uh, it tells you like the sort of the things they've been lied to about. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really fascinating. But yeah, the, the final ending is like, I mean, I don't know. T- tell me what you think about it. It's like, it's just, it's like a huge staggering like moment of, of like gaming as a medium i think like it's so it's so incredible yeah so it's basically like you get to the credits and the pods start talking um and they're kind of having a conversation which also like implies that they have started to get consciousness Mm -hmm. which is also just a great part of the narrative because the whole narrative has to do with like what makes us human or conscious and even though the androids are basically machines and the machine life forms are machines. You always still see the pods as like robots. Yeah. Kind of like unequivocally. But at the end of the game, it's like, no, no, no. They are also more than that. They're they're like learning and evolving. But they're having a conversation and they're like, hey, maybe we should like try to change shit. And you do this shooting game where you have to shoot the credits. Like you're destroying the names of the people who made the game. And it asks you to, to like to help people. Do you want to, to delete your save? Or well, you just did it like last night. Yeah, I just did it. So yeah, I want to back up a little bit because I want to talk about that pod thing because I think that's really fascinating. It's in like the the final like route of the game, like the final playthrough. They start showing more and more signs of like actually kind of being in control because like their job is like to tell you like give you advice and like tell you where to go and like make these like you know they keep saying like proposal like go find this thing in the world and it feels very neutral as you play but when you start to see things like you will see like a like a system interface that is like the way they communicate and you start to see that they're not just like neutrally leading you places they are making decisions like they know that like the two characters you're controlling through this part of the game a2 and 9s are at odds and if they meet each other it's going to be a disaster and so they start purposely telling them to go to like different places to keep them away from each other uh and like just kind of plotting and i think what's really interesting in there is that like the whole basis of the story is that like humans created these androids to serve them and then there are these aliens that created like machine life forms to serve them and then both of those groups developed their own sort of consciousness and ideas and societies uh and then 
the androids have these like pods that they use as servants, and then those pods then start developing their own ideas. So it's like this cycle of every time there is a a population trying to control another smaller subgroup, that group inevitably starts developing its own ideas and rebelling. Uh, and it's, I don't know, it's just a really interesting way of seeing that cycle continuing and seeing the way that like, as an android, you are being used, but you are also using another conscious being. So there's like all kinds of interesting ideas there, but this final ending. So that sort of like last route of your game basically has like three different endings for you to achieve. And the last one is basically like deciding to end like this whole cycle, this whole organization that you're working for. And then, yeah, I placed the credits again, which you've seen like four times at this point, if you've like played through all these routes and it turns into like a Galaga type game where you, you know, you're shooting all of them and blowing them up. And every time it's like, it's very like, it's, it's quite tough and it goes on for a long time. And if you die, it keeps giving you the option of saying like, do you want to give up or do you want to keep going? And these warnings keep getting more like sort of mocking in a way and they like telling you like it's you know just give up like it's too hard for you like don't keep you know blah blah all the stuff and eventually you start seeing like along with those messages that are like with telling you to choose to continue or not you're seeing these other messages that start coming up and some of them are also kind of mocking and some of them are very encouraging and i was actually like we were talking at this point like we were on a call and i real like the moment that i realized those moments are actually those messages are actually from other players when you get to the end of this section if you beat it uh it lets you leave a message for other players that will show up when they die in those in those things and then after it asks you to leave a message it says uh do you want to help other players in the world do you want to make it easier and you're like okay and it says well to do that we're going to delete all of your save data and it does the same thing where it makes you confirm it like four or five times with these increasingly severe messages where it's like we're warning like we're going to delete your save data everything you just did is going to be gone it's it's all going away all that was for nothing do you still want to continue and you click like yes and then it's like the person who you help is selected at random so if you do this if you make this sacrifice you might be helping someone who you personally hate <laughs> like you might be helping a bad person and you'll never know are you okay with that? And then you'll never get thanked for this. You won't get credit. They'll never know it was you. And all these messages of like, are you sure? Do you still want to help this random person and sacrifice your save data? And if you select yes, it shows you the, again, the main menu screen of the game, and it just deletes every single thing that is there. So starting from like your map, it deletes it and then it goes through like your entire inventory and deletes every item individually all of the like data like text logs that you've collected that kind of like tell the backstory that i had collected and was saving to read later and then never got a chance because they all got deleted it makes you watch as they all get deleted and then finally like it deletes all of your save files one by one and then just like spits you back to the main menu and you can start a new game if you want, but you can never continue that save file that you that you just gave up. And it's like, I mean, again, like we were on a call, so you heard me freaking out as this was all happening. Yeah. Of like, you know, kind of waffling if I wanted to do it or not, and then being like, realizing how much, how many things I wanted to go back and do that I like couldn't do if I made this decision. And then this weird sense of like, I don't know, relief in a way after it was all gone of just being like, okay, well, it's out of my hands. Like I, I did this thing now and it's over. And like, I had this experience of like 
clearly like what the game wants you to go through is this idea of like sacrificing this time and this thing that you have decided is valuable in order to help a person in some unexplained way who you will never meet. And it's, yeah, I don't know, just a fascinating way of bringing the player into the game. It's something that I really love. And I like, I, I do think of this moment as like arguably like the best moment in gaming mm-hmm. <laughs> because it it does something that a lot of games attempt to do or don't know how to do or are afraid to do where it looks at the player and it's basically like, listen, you're going to have to put something real on the line right Mm -hmm. now. We're not just going to like fuck around and pretend like you're making a big decision. You have to commit to this. We will not let you pick up this game again unless you start over. Are you willing to do that for like, no thanks? It's, it's really smart and it's, Mm -hmm. It breaks down this barrier that I I think so many games haven't been able to do where you have to physically make a choice as the player, not as a character, to choose to do something good. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's so many parts of it that I also love, like just thematically the idea that to let these characters kind of like break the cycle and get the happy ending almost not quite a happy ending but like (laughs) arguably a more hopeful ending you have to destroy the credits like you have to destroy the names of the people who made it and you have to delete your save deleting your mark on this and it's like it's clearly you can tell there's a message about like the cycle of the game is the cycle of violence and the idea that like the player and the developer have a hand in this. And the only way to like move on is to consciously as the player be like, I'm done. Yeah. And to let these characters have a life after like, it's such a weird thing to think about in a metatextual bit. It's like letting the characters live a life beyond the like input of a player. Yeah, I mean, it makes you a participant in the story, you as the player, in a, in a way that's really fascinating. I'm thinking of this now also in the context of something that we talked about a, a, for a, a little bit uh, when we were talking about Diablo last week, which is that idea of like, how do you make it meaningful to encounter another player in a multiplayer game? And like, that's not what's happening here, but I, but it's an interesting it's an interesting counterpoint to it where this mm-hmm. is like a single player game, but it still found a way to make the just the very idea of other people playing it meaningful because you never like see these people, you never meet them, you don't cross their paths, but you can f- you feel the presence of other people in a way that feels more real than it does in many multiplayer games. It, and it does it in such a such an abstract way that's not like the game telling you this is important this is a big moment etc it's just like it just puts it in front of you and allows you to feel the gravity of like you are connected in some way and you're relying on each other and it's i don't know it's just fascinating to me that a single player game found this way to like make me feel the presence of other people in a way that felt more meaningful than most multiplayer games where you actually are spending time with them yeah and it's it's why i really like that the game makes you play through it over and over again through different perspectives through different like storylines where you're learning more and more but like all the time you're like kind of seeing this world and seeing these characters suffer and it's why i like the moments of of like friction Mm -hmm. it's because it's supposed to be difficult for the characters and for you because it informs you about the cost of what's happening and it's like 
going through these cycles over and over again is like the game just kind of like hitting you in the face being like look at what this is like Mm -hmm. get it through your head so that when you get to this point it's like yeah i want this to end yeah and i'm gonna delete my save yeah and like knowing remembering your own struggle as you make that decision Mm -hmm. like do i want to help someone do i want to make it a little easier for them it's it's a decision that has more weight if you did struggle on the way to get there if you know if if you didn't have that experience it would i think it would feel less meaningful because it would be like well you know they'll be fine you know mm-hmm. whereas if you know that they might be as frustrated as you are you're like yeah okay i do actually want another person to like have a better time with us yeah and it's like uh, it, i think about this a lot where yokotaro in 2014 which was like the year that they started development on Nier Automata he gave a gdc talk and it was kind of just talking about how he thinks about making games. And there was this one thing he did where he like showed a, a picture and it was a circle and it was a, like a white circle. And then there was like a dotted line around that circle that was like a barrier. And then there was a gray circle around that. And it was this idea where he said the white circle was like the things we are comfortable doing like in games. And then the like dotted barrier was like this is the wall that is holding us back and if we're able to break through that then we reach this gray area of the potential of video games and it's just so interesting to me that he said that in 2014 leading (laughs) into the development of this game which i think actively addresses that and is trying to like break through that wall and it's like it's something he's openly always said where um he's kind of talked about what he thinks of, like, why does he make games? And he he says, like, well, the reason I make games is I think they have a specific capability as an interactive medium to, like, affect the player and mm-hmm. to, like, make them feel real things and consider things in new ways. And that is what this does. Yeah, I mean, I think if you had to say, like, one thing that makes Nier Automata so unique, it is that idea of of breaking through that wall of, like, doing things that games don't do in order to make a new kind of game, like to, to give games a new kind of language, like to show that there are things you're able to do if you are uh, unafraid of alienating people and of making even people who love your game like, hate parts of it like I did, you know, like it's, it's a weird thing where at the end of the day, like I had a really rough time with some parts of this game, but now like my my memory of it is still completely positive. Like I don't in the moment I, I didn't like doing those things, but I don't think it's a worse game for having those elements in it, you know? It's it's a really fascinating thing of like I'm I'm like totally right there with you of the idea that like that fun is the kind of end all be all of games is is absolutely holding him back. Uh and being able to show like, yeah, like make someone like actually suffer and like be upset and not have a good time can actually turn it into a better game in the end and it's like this is just like a living demonstration of that and it's it's just like it's so fascinating yeah and it's uh, you know not to mention that i just think i think narratively it tells such a good story and it's mm-hmm. i think it's really incredible in its story beats and story twists like there are just so many specific moments that i think about as like really well done like they they're set up really well i think the reveal that like not only are all the aliens dead, so the machine life forms are kind of fighting for nothing, but like 
the Council of Humanity is actually dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All of humans are dead. And it's a lie because the androids are basically like, well, shit, if if we're not fighting for humans, then why do we exist? We can't deal with that existential crisis. So we're just going to keep this lie going. So everybody's fighting for nothing. And I think that reveal is pulled off really well. Yeah, which, it's it's an extremely well. Which then even leads to like a more interesting reveal that I think about, which is the reveal of 2B and like what's actually going on mm-hmm. with her, which is which is the fact that she is actually 2E and her whole job is to kill 9S when he figures out the truth because it's happened before. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to get into it like too much because it's such a long conversation, but like in a climate where so many games like say that they're so interesting and prestigious because they talk about like the cost of violence and the cycles of violence. Like what does it mean? And they try to like lecture to the player without actually engaging the player in interesting ways. I'm talking about last of us part two, if it wasn't clear, I fucking hate that game. (laughs) But like near automata through every step is the exact opposite of that, where it actually Mm -hmm. meaningfully engages with these convert, like with these topics and tries to do something new. Yeah, totally. And I think what's interesting about it is like it does deliver those story beats in a way that you can kind of expect from games or that you can draw parallels to. Like it is on a certain level, like the story that you are, you know, experiencing as you play the game, it tells you those those things in the way that other games would. But then it's also reinforced through so many layers of like gameplay and your interaction with it in a way that other games just like do not do. Mm-hmm. So it's like yeah it's so interesting to see that like you can still deliver that that strong narrative that that people want that you know that followable digestible story and you can have this other deeper layer that like reinforces it and shows you that like no this isn't just a thing that we're saying and we want you to believe we're going to demonstrate it to you and we're going to make you like an active participant in learning this lesson it's just like it's 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 so masterfully done like it's it's I don't know. It's as good as everybody has been saying it is for years. Like it's it's a really incredible experience. Yeah. Like this is just like a little detail that I love to think about is um the way that androids are designed is that the androids have no genitals. Mm-hmm. And same with the machine life forms, but if you're going around the world, there are times when you'll like see machine life forms like doing simulated sex. Yes. Or like having like baby carriages. Mm-hmm. And it's because they're trying to live he- like a human life, whereas the androids are like seen as like not supposed to be doing any of that. Uh, it's great. Also, I oh, I'm so curious when the whole thing with A2's route with Pascal's village. How did you feel about that? In in what sense? <laughs> when basically the whole village commits suicide, and then Pascal's like, "Hey, can you kill me or wipe my memory?" Uh huh. I thought the dialogue at least was a little bit overwrought mm-hmm. where he was like, oh no, I taught them about fear and that killed them. And it was like, I think that was one moment where it was a little on the nose, but I do think it is, it is interesting where you know, Pascal is this character who has read, I mean, as he named himself Pascal, like he's read a bunch of human philosophers and he's trying to pass on these ideas of humanity because he thinks it will make, there's an interesting thing there where the machine life forms who break off from the control of the aliens who like disconnect themselves from the network they sort of start to emulate humans. Like Mm -hmm. the point of the machine life forms is to destroy the humans. And so when these ones disconnect and decide to become peaceful and and pacifistic, they also sort of like 
start empathizing with their former enemy and trying to take on their traits. And in a way, it seems like they start to view humans as superior to machines because they're like trying to to emulate them. And so Pascal takes that to like such a further extent where he's reading this philosophy and he's teaching the ideas of like human philosophers to machines. And the end result of that is like they learned about fear. And so when things become what they seem like they seem to be hopeless and there's no way out all of these machines kill themselves as a result and it's just such an interesting idea to see like these machine life forms that we for the rest of the for most of the game have been seen as like these killing machines by becoming more human they actually become vulnerable and less willing to to fight for the things they believe in and like more like the, the idea of fear the idea of seeing themselves as limited in the way that humans are makes it so that they they can't appreciate what makes them different as machines uh, yeah i don't know it's it's an interesting moment i, I think that the, the, just like the script of it is a little like blunt but i think it's a really it's a really fascinating moment and then yeah you can choose to like wipe pascal's memory uh, which you do through like that hacking game, which, and as it's going, like you're deleting these like segments of memory, and it's playing like audio clips from earlier in the game of like his memory of raising this village and all these things. It's it's like it's very it's very tragic, and like everything else in the game, there's like so many layers of of meaning to sort of decipher that it's like in the moment kind of hard to to really see. I don't know the fullness of what it's saying as you play. Uh, it's just, it's, yeah, it's one fascinating moment among like many in the game. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad you finally got around to playing it. I love this game. Yeah, me too. I can't believe it took me this long, but I, <laughs> I'm really glad that I finally did. Uh, I feel like there's so many moments in it that just like, uh, just really, really blew me away. It, it's a really, it's a great example of a game that continually sets up, like, like all games are based on rules and like the point of a game is to tell you like how to play it and how the world works and then to kind of set you free and uh, in that world and like you follow the rules that you've been taught uh, in order to to beat the game and this is an example of a game that continually sets up all those rules and then breaks them over and over and over but never seems to do it always seems to do it in service of telling a, a bigger story so every every time a rule is broken it actually tells you something bigger about the world that's that this is all taking place in and like expands the horizons of what the game means rather than like than, than shrinking them you know yeah uh, it's just yeah it's it's a it's a fascinating example of how to use the structure of a game to upset your expectations it's god yeah it's it's really fast like i i'm like i, I can't wait to wait long enough that I can play it again and like experience this all over. See, I, I've never led you astray so far with a game. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> but yeah, besides that, I mean, have you been doing anything else or it's just near all week? Yeah, near Automata was going to be the thing that I said I played all week before we decided to just make it a topic. So I don't really have one. Instead, I'm just going to say uh, the... TTRPGs for Trans Rights Florida bundle is up now on itch.io. It's available until April 7th, I believe. Uh, so you have a couple weeks left to grab this. I uh, interviewed the person who curated uh, another version of this bundle last year, uh, and it's the same deal. It's like there's 500 games in this bundle that you can get for a minimum donation of $5, uh, and that donation goes to support uh, two trans charities in Texas, uh, and it's a bundle of tabletop games. Uh, so I'm going to talk about more next week, like once I've had more time to actually look over the games and like recommend some specific ones. But for now, I would just say like if you can at all spare the 
the money, it's absolutely worth picking up, like not only because you're getting 500 <laughs> games to play, but because the money is really going to like a very, very needed and great cause. So rather than a thing I've been doing, it's just kind of a recommendation this week. Go check out the bundle. And if you can spare the money, uh, make a donation. But what have you been up to this week, Willa? Yeah, um, I have been playing a game a little bit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I bought Final Fantasy 15 on the Steam Spring Sale because uh -huh. I was like, I should try playing more Final Fantasy f games that I haven't touched, like especially in the lead up to 16. I don't know. And I know people have like given it a bad rap. And I was like, I wonder how accurate this is. <laughs> and then I played it for a couple hours and I was like, I hate this game. Yeah. It's not good. I don't like it. So instead, I'm going to talk about the anime that I watched this week, which <laughs> is um, Puella Magi Madoka Magica. Basically, I've heard about it for a while because it was billed as like the Neon Genesis Evangelion of Magical Girl anime. Mm -hmm. um, so like dark and depressing. And I was like, that sounds great. Uh, so I watched it. <laughs> it's 12 episodes. And then there's uh, there's a movie. And so I watched all of those. It's very good. I liked it. It is very accurately the Neon Genesis Evangelion of Magical Girl animes. Um, but also, it's a tragic love story about lesbians. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> I, I liked it a lot. I think it it's very good um, at what it's trying to do. Mm -hmm. If you're someone who's like watched Magical Girl anime and you like want to see something interesting where they kind of like completely flip it upside down it's great if you like neon Gen genesis evangelion and you want to try something that's similar to that try this i was a big fan highly recommend it it is uh it's pretty dark and there's a lot of like <laughs> there's a lot of sad shit that goes down um but i loved it so yeah yeah watch that yeah i've heard like about that for years and avoided it because it while it does sound great i don't know if my little heart can handle it but i'm glad you enjoyed it mm -hmm. uh, but with that i think that's the end of our discussion for today that was uh, episode 22 route a that, <laughs> yeah we have to record we'll have for the, two more hours yeah and then we'll get the final ending yeah where we have to delete the the audio file to actually free ourselves from this podcast god willing <laughs> if only <laughs> But until we find a way to break this cycle, uh, you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find us on Twitter at girlmode underscore pod or in co-host at girlmode-pod. And you can find me at Robin Bombas. And I'm on both those places at the Willow Road. Okay. Bye. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we did it. Bye. See ya. <laughs> See you next week. Okay. Red leather, yellow leather. Meow, 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 meow. Exactly. Meow, 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 meow. Meow, 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 meow. Meow, 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 meow. Hello, and welcome back to episode 22 of Girl Mode. I am one of your hosts, Willa Rowe. I'm so sorry. I forgot to put my headphones on again. Just leave it running. It's going to be real quick. Oh, no. It's going to break the whole system. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> I'm just going to stop my recording and I'll start it.